If you throw a tear gas canister into a crowded party, you're guaranteed to clear the room as everyone tries to run for cover. In all honesty, I have very limited experience of tear gas, which dates back to campus protests against apartheid when I was studying at the University of Cape Town in South Africa in the dark days before the fall of apartheid. Anyway, tear gas is most unpleasant and I don't recommend getting into contact with it if you can avoid it. Just like the velociraptors from episode 15, hopefully you won't experience or need tear gas on your home makeover project. But there is a thing homeowners do all the time on home makeover projects and it makes just about as much mess as tear gas and has about the same effect on project teams. In fact, this one action, which is often repeated over and over again in the worst cases, is responsible for uncontrollable cost increases and time overruns. And the problem is, most homeowners don't realize the damage they're doing to themselves. It's just like shooting yourself on the foot deliberately. I'm a passionate advocate that you can do it yourself when it comes to taking charge of your own home makeover projects. But this is one thing you really don't want to do yourself. So in a few moments, I'll share what it is and how to avoid doing it on your own projects. Welcome to another Q&A episode, actually the second. The first was episode 10, and if you haven't heard it or watched it, you can hop over to the DIYPM.com forward slash podcast and follow the links to the audio or video player. Or you can now watch it on our YouTube channel called, surprise, surprise, Home Makeover Project Secrets. Speaking of surprises, I've received a surprising number of questions about overcapitalizing, after mentioning in previous episodes how important it is to avoid doing this when embarking on a home makeover project. It seems I've struck a nerve, so I'll be talking in a little more detail about this serious risk. And since this is intertwined with how to add real value to our homes, I'm going to answer some questions I've received about ways to add real value to home projects. So coming up, what could possibly have a similar effect to tear gas on a home makeover project. Hello and welcome to Home Makeover Project Secrets, the show that equips homeowners with the skills and understanding to execute successful home projects, that goes behind the scenes of home build projects to unlock the secrets and share insider tips and strategies to save money and time on any and every home project. What you learn will give you the confidence to embark boldly on your next project and you'll know what to do so your story has the happy dream home ending you deserve. I'm your host, Andrew Phillips. When I talk about home makeovers, I include renovation, remodeling, alterations, additions going up into attics and down into basements, redevelopments and even ground up new builds. Any and every project where you're going to be appointing professionals, designing something, buying materials, carrying out construction work, employing contractors, subcontractors, suppliers, manufacturers, and even if you're doing some or all the work yourself, all things home build. And I'm delighted you've joined me today. Because we're dealing with what might be quite complicated information, especially if you're unfamiliar with some of the terminology and processes, the show notes and transcript will be uploaded to our website, thediypm.com, so you can easily revisit any episode and refer to the key information shared each week. And of course, if you prefer to watch or read an episode rather than listening, you'll find links on the website as well. We also include any links to resources, free gifts, and other useful information mentioned during episodes. In episode two, I exposed the number one source of project calamities, explaining what makes home makeovers so complicated and how it causes projects to implode. Hopefully, I'm not giving too much away. 
And this is a spoiler alert. But I was talking about people. It's easy to forget that contractors and subcontractors are not machines who can be plugged in and operated, fired up, and then turned off again to stand idle until needed again. Construction crew have feelings, emotions, tough lives and family struggles they're dealing with. They're typically juggling multiple projects at any one time, battling to keep a variety of clients satisfied. Just because we employ them doesn't mean they can't be wounded. If you treat them with disrespect or fail to value their contribution, their morale will suffer, their commitment to making the extra effort and their willingness to look after your interests will quickly fade. I've heard clients actually telling site crew, you're being paid, just do your job. That may be factually accurate and is perhaps a reasonable expectation, but it's missing crucial emotional intelligence that recognizes the humanity of the people doing the work. You may have heard me telling about how the general contractor on my own dream home project walked off site. And listeners have asked why, what happened that led him to abandoning the project? Actually, lots of reasons, but I'm ashamed to confess that some of it was down to the problem I'm just about to reveal. Okay, time to put you out of your misery. What can clear the room like tear gas? Well, simply put, doing anything that routinely ignores the humanity of your site crews, whoever is their actual employer. As the client, the homeowner is everyone's ultimate boss. And nothing crushes morale more than making changes to work scope, specifications, layouts, dimensions, and doing it over and over again is the worst. Wait, what? Let me say that again. Constantly making changes when contractors are on site executing your project crushes morale, breaks momentum, disrupts progress, and results in a significant reduction in their engagement with your project. Just like a boring teacher with a class of teenagers will lose the room, you'll lose the site crew. Let me explain how this plays out. But first, a bit of background insight might help you to grasp why this is so damaging. A contractor is appointed to carry out a series of tasks on a project. Typically, they've been selected due to their competence, but also because their quote is competitive. And it's almost always linked to a fixed timescale. This means there's not much fat or profit in the game, and there's seldom adequate time, certainly none to spare. So a crucial way contractors earn their money is to get the job done quickly and efficiently so they can move on to the next project and do it all over again, rinse and repeat as quickly and painlessly as possible. And so this is what goes down. We'll imagine you're executing a kitchen remodeling project. You've appointed various contractors to remove old millwork, to supply new cupboards and counters, to install new countertops, as well as carrying out wall tiling along with some minor electrical and plumbing changes to suit the new arrangement. A classic kitchen makeover. By day four, the old kitchen cupboards are gone, the new counters are installed, and the electrician and plumber are expected on site the next day for rough work or first fix of those installations. The homeowner that's you, arrives on site late afternoon to check out progress. You wander around the newly formed spaces and realise, shoot, the gap between the new island unit and the refrigerator is too wide and that spoils the space for the adjacent dining table. So you discuss this with the site manager or foreman and ask him to get his crews to move the counter over six inches. It probably seems like a small change to you. After all, six inches isn't too far, right? How difficult can that really be? And the thing is, it's not the distance that's the problem. What you've done, even unintentionally, is set off a tear gas canister which is now hissing dangerously. That small change means the mill workers have to return to site to move the unit, which is a problem because they're due on another site the next day. And now the electrician and plumber both have to be delayed and probably at least the day after. Making the change late in the afternoon means they will need to redeploy to another site very quickly 
or they'll be sitting on their hands the next day, waiting for the island unit to be moved. Even a small rock in a smallish pond can cause some big ripples. Some of the crew may lose money. Their lives will definitely experience some disruption. Other clients may end up being delayed with other unpleasant consequences. The ripples spread quickly across the surface of their pond. You may well be thinking, boo-hoo, man up you guys, if only you knew how much I have to put up with. This is nothing. Well, it is and it isn't. The first time it happens, the crew probably just suck it in and make the change. They'll mutter about it, but they'll get over it. But when, just two days later, and you're back on site watching them fit that pale grey stone countertop you've never been entirely convinced about, and you suddenly realise it's definitely wrong, uh, especially now you see it next to the new wood flooring, the wheels really start to come off. You tell them, sorry guys, we need to find a different countertop. That change will end up taking three weeks or even longer to order, measure, template, manufacture, bring to site, and fit. More delays, more disruption. Now the ripples are more like waves. Make any more changes and you'll be facing a tsunami. In fact, there may well be a riot on your site and you may in fact need some of the tear gas to deal with the protesters. Okay, that's probably an exaggeration, but you will have a seriously demoralized workforce. Some of the crew may be able to charge you for their extra time, return visits, out-of-sequence working, but others just have to live with it. And getting paid still won't solve all of the knock-on problems you've just created for them. So they won't be happy, and some may well walk out. They may simply not be making enough profit from your project to make accepting the disruption and maybe losing money elsewhere worthwhile. So the big takeaway in answering this question is be aware of the impact making changes has on your construction team. Keep changes to a minimum. And when they're essential, recognize the negative effect on those working for you. Address this directly. Acknowledge what's happening. Ask if there is anything you can do to support them, which may mean paying additional charges, and be grateful, thanking them for the work they've done and expressing your appreciation, particularly letting them know you're aware these changes are having on them. Gratitude and appreciation expressed genuinely have a powerful mitigating effect. The return of investment is huge, much more than the cost, which is nothing. Okay, next topic. Overcapitalizing. It seems from the number of questions I've received that homeowners want to know more about this real risk. In case anyone is unfamiliar with the term, it simply means spending more on your property than you can recover if you sell it. So if you paid $400,000 to buy the property and then spent another $250,000 on remodeling, your investment would total $650,000. This becomes a problem if the maximum you can sell the improved property for is just $550,000, you would effectively lose $100,000. It's worth pointing out that property values generally increase over the medium to long term and in superheated markets, even in the short term. I remember watching some home improvement TV shows in the early 2000s where investors would uh, buy a property for a relatively low price, say $150,000. They would then carry out not much more than a cosmetic facelift, spending relatively little, say $20,000, over the course of a couple of months, and then manage to flip the property for a crazy $220,000, making $50,000 profit in a matter of months. The reason for this was the property market at the time was overheated, lots of demand, lots of mortgages and loans available at relatively low interest rates. And we all know the catastrophe that turned into from 2008 through 2010. Some homeowners are only now emerging from negative equity, where their property values have eventually reached the levels of 2007, 2008, just before the crash. 
So if you plan to hold on to the property you're renovating, then overspending may be offset by property values rising over time. Of course, crashes like the global financial crisis are hard to predict, so you have to accept that selling prices could drop. But this could happen to you even if you hadn't done anything to the property. It is sensible to at least consider what might happen if you were forced to sell the property in a hurry and well before your intended timing. If you had overcapitalized, would losing money be a problem for you? Wise homeowners need to think like investors. When planning any home makeover, try to focus on work scope that is likely to add value to your property. But you need to recognize that some things you may do while being fantastic for improving your family quality of life and enjoyment in the property don't move the needle beyond just recovering your investment. So the property does increase in value, but only by the amount you have invested. In situations like this, while they are cost-to-value neutral and not profitable, there may still be positive benefits which might justify your investment. Unless you've done something actually unwise, you will almost certainly have improved curb appeal, which means improving the likelihood someone will want to buy your property. The property might sell more quickly, and it might be easier to get offers close to or even above your asking price. Now, there are a number of factors that influence property values. Location is usually the most important, like being near a sought-after school or close to a train station that gives access to public transport. Next, the amenities of the property, things like floor area, number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms, entertaining areas, and so on. And all of these factors will vary considerably based on where you live in the world, where you live in your country, and even which city or town you live in. When we bought our first home in the United Kingdom a few years after relocating from South Africa, we bought a starter two-bed home near what we subsequently discovered was a village in the top 12 most expensive places to live in the UK. Who knew? We certainly didn't. But when we sold only four years later, our little terraced house had increased in value by more than 70%, and we hadn't done anything to the property. No makeovers needed. So you need to do your own research, consulting local realtors and estate agents who regularly operate in the location where you live or are planning to invest in property. It's essential. Most property agents will be willing to provide free valuations or sales appraisals. When they visit your property, ask them if they have any ideas about what might increase the value of the property. They're usually willing to share their expertise in the hope that when you come to sell the property, you'll appoint them to act on your behalf. Here's a list of home makeover alternatives to consider. But please note this disclaimer. I'm not a realtor nor a real estate agent. I do not know where you live nor have any experience of property valuations in your area. This is not advice or guidance or a recommendation. The following are simply ideas based on what other property owners have done in their locations that have resulted in increasing property values at various times in the past. Do not attempt or pursue any of these ideas without seeking and receiving reliable professional advice from experts in property who operate locally to you. Any and all home makeover projects are carried out at your own risk. And here's a warning to be mindful of. In any home makeover, you may consider be wary of making the work overly personal. You may be a Star Wars fan, but building your extension in the shape of the Millennium Falcon may be a bad idea. This also applies to modelling your home on Hogwarts for those Harry Potter fans and anything Pirates of the Caribbean themed. Hopefully you get the point. These may be extreme examples, but even exotic paint colours can be off-putting for buyers. Your favourite deep purple may not impress buyers when they discover the entire house has been coated in it. Anything that reduces its curb appeal and makes a property harder to sell should be avoided. 
Property professionals often say that buyers make a decision within minutes of entering a property. If someone walks into your home and realizes they will have to spend thousands to redecorate or reconfigure the property, they are likely to walk away, unless the asking price is way below market and takes those rectification works into account, which means you'll be losing money. But even when prices have been adjusted, lots of buyers simply don't want to be forced into tons of work when they move in. So here they are in no particular order. Improving the connectivity of inside and outside spaces. For example, replacing a window or older style doors from internal entertaining spaces like a kitchen, dining room or living room with sliding or bifold doors, including increasing opening sizes to maximize light. Convert underutilized loft or attic space into living accommodation. Depending on the works involved and where you live, the construction cost of a loft conversion may be as much as half that of an extension. Taking into account the growing relevance of green energy for the future, adding photovoltaic solar panels for generating electricity or thermal panels for heating can be beneficial both while you live there and when you sell. Decorating is typically beneficial, especially in older tired properties. At the very least, it improves curb appeal, but only when the colors are in vogue at the time of selling and not exotic. This could include replacing wall tiling, damaged plaster, repairing superficial cracking to walls and ceilings, redecorating peeling paintwork, and replacing dirty threadbare carpets. Replacing old-style windows, particularly to improve energy efficiency, like replacing old single-glazed windows with double-glazed units. Remodeling existing layouts to improve circulation and incorporating wasted space to increase overall room sizes. An example might be removing or reconfiguring internal walls around old-style separate dining rooms and kitchens to create new open-plan kitchen diners. Removing a wall to lose a corridor has the effect of adding the corridor space to the newly enlarged adjacent room. Improving sight lines in living spaces by forming fewer, more spacious rooms makes houses seem larger. Updating and reconfiguring key spaces like kitchens and bathrooms can be effective, particularly where the scope includes modernizing, like replacing an old unsightly bathtub with a shower, perhaps including a rainfall shower head, or introducing a dishwasher in older properties. And you don't have to go crazy. Simple enhancements like replacing floor tiling or light fittings can have a positive impact. Installing modern style taps and sanitary ware like toilets and washhand basins also prove popular. One of the most valuable amenity spaces are bedrooms. Can you find ways to add bedrooms? Subdividing larger rooms, reconfiguring existing layouts, again, potentially incorporating underutilized spaces like corridors is often most cost-effective. But you may also consider loft or basement conversions and even additions and extensions. Adding bathrooms, especially ensuite to master or principal bedrooms, are also often sought-after features. A variety of relatively minor projects may also enhance overall appeal without major works, and that can be carried out on a phased basis as you can afford them. These could include replacing floor tiling and carpeting, adding wood floors, replacing and upgrading light fittings, creating additional storage and utility spaces, like a separate laundry, even if small. Extremely simple activities like decluttering, styling furniture and accessories, lamps, rugs, throws, and color-coordinating ornaments can be powerful as well as fun to do, and it doesn't all have to be done at once. And finally, consider whether or not adding a home office or even garden office would increase the desirability of your property. This is particularly relevant as we emerge from the COVID pandemic, when many homeowners have discovered it's both possible and beneficial to work from home either full or part-time. And employers too are recognizing that employees can be productive 
even more productive, working in their home environments. Try to put yourself in the shoes of future buyers of your property. Think how you think when you look at a property, what puts you off, and then look at your own property through buyer's eyes. Replace that tatty front door, change the curtains, or even just have them cleaned. Little tweaks can have as much impact as some more significant projects. And that wraps up this episode. We'll be doing more Q&A episodes in the next few weeks. To make sure you never miss an episode, why not subscribe to Home Makeover Project Secrets on our website at thediypm.com, where you'll also find our blog posts and details about our upcoming project masterclasses and training courses. If you have a question about a project you're planning or already running, please reach out and email me on faq at thediypm.com. If you have a challenge to overcome, then I can just about guarantee others are also facing the same or similar challenges. We'll be answering listener questions in FAQ episodes every few weeks. It's always reassuring to know you're not the only one battling away. It's been great to have you with me today, and I look forward to having you back for the next episode of Home Makeover Project Secrets. All the best on your Home Makeover Project adventures.